Hi, my name is Ekrit. Um, I'm studying accounting and marketing and I'm in my third year. And I'll be reading the Bible today. Um, today's passage is from Luke 23 verses 32 to 49. Um, you can find Luke um, two-thirds of the way through your Bible after Matthew and Mark. Um, before we read the passage, um, let us pray. Um, Lord, thank you for your word that you have given to us. We pray that as we read it together, that you would soften our hearts to listen and to take in what you have to say. We pray for Matt today as he preaches your good news. May he be faithful to your words and speak with clarity. Help us as we listen to hear what he has to say and let our minds not wander off. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Again, we're reading from Matt, Luke 23, 32 to 49. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the, ru but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself if he is a Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are ye not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God? since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the signs light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home beating their breasts, and all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the CU's Easter event. Uh, my name is Matt. I'm one of the staff workers here with the UWA Christian Union. And I want to extend a special welcome to you if you're here visiting. You've been invited by a friend. Maybe you were bludging on Facebook and you just happened to click the link and you decided to stick around and, and see how this thing went down, uh, we're really glad that you're here. Uh, today is the day before Easter, and it's traditionally the time Christians throughout history have remembered and celebrated the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And for us, it's not just you know an extra two days off work where we can kick up our feet and binge watch Tiger King in self-isolation. No, it's much more than that. It's the most significant moment in the Christian calendar. Because while we reflect on what Jesus did for us at Calvary, 
we're actually reflecting on the very heart of the Christian message and indeed the very heart of the Christian hope. And so while I know that Easter uh, is really a two-part act, Christian gospel as uh, Jesus dying and then Jesus raising from the dead, and really it's that resurrection that's the happy ending that seals the deal, and it moves us from sober reflection to happy celebration. <clears throat> I want to spend some time thinking about Jesus' death. And in particular, I want to think about one scene. The scene where Jesus dies. Now, if you're a movie fan like me, you know all the tropes. And the one that I normally roll my eyes at is the slow death scene. You, you know the one I'm talking about, right? Like the, the police officer, he's just been shot and they're in the lap of their police partner, and with their last dying breath, they, they look up into their eyes and they say, Tell my wife that I love her. And then you've got the head tilt. Uh, it's lame, right? But it acknowledges something true about death, doesn't it? Because the moment of death has this wonderful ability to clarify for us what is important. And today what we're going to be doing is play witness to a particularly candid conversation between three men. Now there are some things to know about them. Uh, first of all, all three men are condemned as criminals. Second, all three men are nailed to a cross. And third, more logically, all three men are dying. It's perhaps one of the most poignant scenes we have in the New Testament. You won't get any closer, or more intimate, or more honest than this. Because when you're dying, you don't mince words. You talk about the things that matter. And so as you listen, what I hope you'll, what will happen for you is that you will get a clarity on the message of Easter that you haven't had before, and that you'll get clarity on what's actually really important in life. And so what I want to do is invite you to come and join me at the foot of the cross and then looking up, listen in on the dead men talking. So let's set the scene. We've got Jesus. He's nailed to a cross. On either side, on his right and then on his left, are two criminals also crucified. Why are they there? Well, we don't know specifically. Uh, we aren't told what they've done. Uh, we, aren't, we aren't even told which one is on either side, uh, but we do know that they have done something bad enough to merit the death penalty. These aren't your normal kind of uh, criminals, these are the heavy hitters. Uh, and we also know that they are both dying alongside Jesus. In the case of Jesus, however, we do know why he's here. Uh, typically, when somebody was crucified, uh, they would nail a plaque or an inscription above their head, and it would identify and list the crimes that they had done. Uh, and Luke tells us there in our, in our reading for today, in sentence 38, that the one above Jesus' head reads as follows, the King of the Jews. So in other words, Jesus was condemned to death for claiming to be a king. Now, on the one hand, that doesn't sound like a capital offence, does it? I mean, we've got people you can get fined for impersonating a police officer, uh, but usually the people who claim or pretend to be kings, they're not written off as criminals, they're written off as crazies, and we send them off to the mental asylum. And so we've got to ask the question, what is it about Jesus' claim that is so serious? Well, 
Let's hear the dead men speak. Now, if you've got your Bibles, open them up and have a look at sentence 39. That's what it says. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save us, save yourself and us. Now, you see what happens here is the first criminal mocks Jesus by calling him the Messiah. And the reason that this is such a big deal is because of who the Messiah was prophesied to be. You see, from the very beginning of Jewish history, God had promised his people a Messiah. Now, when you think Messiah, you don't think Neo from the Matrix or anything like that. You need to think King and you need to think Saviour. And the Messiah was the one who would deliver God's people from their oppressors. There's the Saviour part. And he would establish the rule of their nation over all the other nations. That's the King part. And so the Messiah really was God's representative and was the one that had the authority to speak and act on God's behalf. And so to claim to be the Messiah, particularly in religious Israel, is not a smart thing to do. In fact, it's blasphemous. There are safer lies that you can make in a religious community like this. And so what would happen is that, historically we know this, every couple of years somebody would turn up, they'd claim to be the Messiah, they'd gather themselves a following, and then they'd go and get themselves killed trying to liberate their nation. And so there's no small amount of irony here in this scene that the so-called Messiah Jesus is actually currently nailed to a cross and dying. The first criminal, he gets this. He understands that the Messiah is meant to save and to rule. And here's Jesus right next to him, bleeding out on a hunk of wood, having been hammered there by the soldiers that he was supposed to defeat. And so he mocks him. He says, so you're the Messiah, huh? Well, how's that salvation thing working out for you? Huh? One thing is very, very clear. He doesn't believe that Jesus is who he says he is. Now, this is where the conversation gets really interesting. Because the dead men don't just talk, they start to argue. Cue criminal number two, and you see what he says there in sentence 40 of the passage. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. You see, the second criminal rebukes the first. He essentially says, what's wrong with you? Don't you know who this is? I mean, we, we deserve to be here, but Jesus doesn't. He's done absolutely nothing wrong. And the innocence of Jesus, um, this is a running theme throughout this entire chapter of Luke. Uh, Jesus' innocence is actually mentioned seven times, uh, and this is number six. Uh, and so if there's one thing that is abundantly clear as we listen in on this conversation, it's that Jesus is innocent of the charge for which he's been condemned. He's not a charlatan, he's not a liar, he's not a fake. He's not even delusional. He's the real thing. Now, why is his innocence so important? Well, you've got to follow the logic. What's hanging above his head? If Jesus is innocent of falsely claiming to be the Messiah, then he actually is the Messiah. And so when the second criminal declares that Jesus has done nothing wrong, he's not just saying that Jesus has been condemned unjustly by the establishment. What he's actually saying 
is that Jesus is the promised Messiah, God's Saviour King. That, of course, leaves us with a serious dilemma. Right? Because remember what's happening here. This isn't like a polite conversation three men are having over tea and crumpets. All three men are next to each other, bleeding out. Every breath is a ragged effort. And so while we might be tempted to, in the comfort of our own isolated homes, applaud the second criminal for his spiritual insight, we still have to deal with the objection of the first criminal. Because if Jesus is the Messiah, then what's he doing here with us? I mean, condemned men, they're defeated men, they're abandoned men, they're rejected men. And this is the one place that you would never expect to see God's Messiah. So how do we make sense of this? Is the first criminal actually right? Well, the answer to our dilemma is found in the Old Testament. It's in the book of Isaiah. Now, Isaiah was a prophet, uh, and he preached about the deliverance of God's people. Uh, and for those of you who have Bibles, maybe you want to turn there, but it'll be up on the screen in a second. Uh, in chapter 53, he tells us that the Messiah will triumph by suffering on behalf of his people. Uh, let's have a look at what he says. It'll be up on the screen here for you. This is what he says in Isaiah 53. Speaking of the Messiah, he says, He poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. And why was he numbered with the transgressors? Look at what he says next. Yet he bore the sins of many and he makes intercession for the transgressors. And this here is why we find the king among the criminals. He is there to bear their sin and to save them. And what we see is, as the rest of the conversation plays out, uh, we really see two things. Uh, the first is we see some really, really good news. Uh, but then the second is that we see a warning. Uh, so, so what's the good news? Well, the good news is that Jesus saves criminals. It's the message of Easter. But the warning... The warning is that he also divides them. And that's the warning of Easter. First, the good news. Jesus saves criminals. Uh, let's listen in on the dead men talking. Because at this point, the second criminal, uh, he stops rebuking the first criminal, and instead, he turns to Jesus. Uh, in sentence 42, this is what he says. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. You see, the criminal, he has one request. Remember me when you're in your kingdom. And Jesus says to him, you're in. You're joining me in paradise, and it's going to happen today. Now, that's wonderful, isn't it? But doesn't it seem just a bit too easy? Just say the magic word, and paradise is yours. But we both know that it doesn't work like that, do we? Because otherwise Jesus would have saved the first criminal as well. These aren't just words. What they actually represent is a massive change of heart in the second criminal. Uh, the Christian word for this is repentance. You see, the second criminal is choosing to defect from the kingdom of crime and join the kingdom of Christ. He's changing allegiance. And what he's doing is he's, he's submitting himself to Jesus as king and in doing so, he receives a royal pardon and royal citizenship 
in Jesus' kingdom with him forever. And if that isn't worth two public holidays, I actually don't know what is. There's a massive shift. What causes the shift? Well, I want to point out two things in this criminal's response. One thing that he says about himself, and then one thing that he says about Jesus. The first thing, the thing that he says about himself is this. He confesses his guilt. Now, true repentance, it comes from a place of honesty and humility. And one of the key contrasts in this story is that it's only the second criminal that is willing to accept that he's receiving what he deserves. The first criminal doesn't. Doesn't care. He just wants to be saved. He wants to save his skin. He's physically dying and he shows no signs of remorse. <clears throat> but before we jump to judgment, I want to suggest that we are probably more like the first criminal than we'd like to believe. I mean, have you ever noticed that we always give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. Uh, any argument, any accusation, uh, we assume that we are in the right until we're proven wrong. Uh, and usually we don't wait around to be proven wrong and hear the proof, do we? We usually put our fingers in our ears and do the la 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 la, or we'll deflect. Um, we'll point out the wrongs of others. We'll try and minimize our own wrongdoing. Uh, and we do that because we know that if we acknowledge our guilt, we have to acknowledge that we deserve to be punished. Now the second criminal, he understands this, doesn't he? He owns it. He hangs on the cross, and as he's dying, he says, I am getting what my deeds deserve. And so he confesses his guilt. That's the first thing. The second thing, the thing that he says about Jesus, is that he confesses Jesus as king. Now, when he asks Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom, he is acknowledging the truth of Jesus' claim. Now, his request, it's not like the first criminal's request, because effectively it's the same idea, right? Both of them in some way said, Jesus, save me. But it comes from a very, very different place. You see, where the first criminal mocks the Messiah, the second criminal embraces him. He's humble. He asks. He doesn't demand. He looks to Jesus. And he knows where he stands. Because if Jesus is going to give him anything, he knows it will be because of mercy rather than justice. And so he says to him effectively, I am guilty. You are holy. I'm a criminal. You're a king. But when we're both dead and you're sitting on your throne, please, Jesus, remember me. And Jesus' response promises a level of personal intimacy that just completely beggars belief. The criminal would never expect it. He's basically saying, I just won't remember you while I'm in my palace. I'm actually going to take you to be there with me forever. And so what happens is the criminal dines with the king in paradise that very day. He not only receives mercy, but he receives blessing, and all because he bowed the knee to Jesus. You see, at the heart of the Christian message is the recognition that Jesus is the rightful ruler of your life. It means a conscious admission of your own treason and then a conscious commitment to follow the King. And this is the good news of Easter. At Easter, we celebrate the fact that Jesus saves criminals and he doesn't turn them away when they come to him. That's why we celebrate. 
we celebrate the generous mercy of the King who bled and who died for me. There is, however, an attendant warning to this good news. Because we know that even though Jesus saves all that come to him, he doesn't save them if they do not come. And that's why Jesus not only saves criminals, but he also divides them. And that leads us to the warning of Easter. Because only one criminal was saved that day. Only one criminal died forgiven. The other died still an enemy of the king. And he died facing a far worse fate than death on a cross. And it all turned on how they responded to the person that hung dying between them. And what I want to suggest to you this Easter is that you and I are in a similar predicament. We, like them, are criminals and we are under the sentence of death. Now, I don't know whether you've ever thought of yourself as a criminal. Uh, my suspicion is probably not. I mean, I never have. Original gangster? Yeah. But never a criminal. Uh, that's a class of people who break the law. Now, I'm not like them. They're, they're the people who kind of deserve to be in prison, whereas I'm a law-abiding citizen. I'm not in that category. And so what we do is we create other categories to describe ourselves. Now, we'll describe ourselves as not perfect, or as having made mistakes, or, you know, what we'll do is we'll compare ourselves to other worse people, uh, but not criminal. Uh, definitely not. Um, that's the one category we won't attribute to ourselves. I mean, I know that's true of me. I guarantee you that if I had been at the cross on that day and I had looked up at those dead men, I would have thought, I am not like them. Sometimes I do bad things, sure, but I'm not a bad person. But the Bible teaches us that our wrongdoing, our mistakes, our imperfections, they go far deeper than just doing what is wrong. They teach us that our fundamental position is one of rebellion against the God who made us. And this is regardless of whether you passively ignore Him or whether you actively hate Him. You don't have to be a Richard Dawkins to fall into this category. Because every single person has broken God's law, and therefore every single person is counted by God as a criminal worthy of death. And just so we're aware of how big an issue this is, this is a problem that Jesus had to die to fix. Our sins aren't minor misdemeanors, which we can just kind of pass off as community service. These are death penalty offences. You and I are criminals. And that is why Easter is such a big deal. Because the two criminals aren't the only ones dying alongside Jesus at Easter. You and I are up there too. And we have the same opportunity that they had. The possibility of paradise. And so we're left with a choice to make. Which side of Jesus will I die on? Because Jesus divides. There's no spectrum of responses to the crucified Christ. You either mock him like the first criminal, or you confess him like the second. So the first type of criminal, they mock the Messiah. These criminals don't take Jesus seriously. They might openly slander him, like some atheists you might know, um, or they might just ignore him, as though he's just some figure of history that doesn't really apply to them. You know, you know what people say, right? Oh, that's good for you, but not for me. 
But, but either way, whether they're active or passive, what they are doing in ignoring Jesus is that they are treating his sacrifice on the cross with contempt. And the way that they live denies his kingship and denies that he is God. And so what they do is they mock him and they mock everything that he has done for humanity. And most significantly, they die like the first criminal. They die without hope and they die facing the eternal judgment of God. Far better to be like the second criminal. These criminals confess the Messiah. They're the ones who see Jesus for who he is and they live under his kingship. And just so we're clear, this group of people doesn't include the people who believe that Jesus is king academically in their head and then let it not affect their life at all and do nothing. You see, true recognition results in true change. And though the second criminal had no chance to show it, I guarantee you that his life would have been radically different at the point of his salvation. And the reason I know that is because he was no longer living for himself with himself as king. He was actually living for the real king, the King Jesus. Now this type of criminal, he's forgiven. Uh, he or she's forgiven. They're no longer counted as criminals. They're counted as citizens of Jesus' kingdom. And though they die, they die with an assurance from the king himself that they will enter paradise to be with him forever. And so this Easter for you, as you hang on the cross next to Jesus, I want to put it to you that you have a choice to make. Which side of Jesus will you die on? Tomorrow, Good Friday, the nation stops and it commemorates the death of a king. And the question is, on that day, will you mock him or will you confess him? That's your choice. How about I pray? Father in heaven, we praise you that in your love for a world of criminals, you sent your King Jesus to come and rescue us and rule over us, not through force of arms, but through the most extravagant display of love and mercy the world has ever seen. I pray that as we reflect on what you have done in Jesus this Easter, that the truth of what has happened will weigh heavily on our hearts, uh, that those of us who are Christians will be moved to greater depths of appreciation and praise for you as their Saviour and King. Uh, and for those who have not yet accepted the Lord Jesus as King, that they won't be able to shake it. Lord, please push us to think deeply about how it is that we will die this Easter. Will we die mocking the Messiah or will we die confessing him? And I pray that you'll grant us that clarity today. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's great spending time with you guys. I hope you enjoy your holiday. Uh, don't forget to reflect as well as have some fun and get some much needed rest. So I'll catch you later. Bye.